The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Farmer, psychotherapist, shamanic practitioner, author, and teacher, and I'll be exploring with you ways to connect with spirit animals, ancestors, spirits of nature, how to heal from trauma, and many other topics. So stay tuned. Hello again. Dr. Stephen Farmer here, and I welcome you to my podcast, Healing for the Soul. And I have the privilege and the honor of uh, a return guest, Simran Singh, today. And I think, uh, as you probably have enjoyed the initial podcast with uh, Simran, on uh, based really on one of her books in a, I would call it a trilogy, uh, the books, the three books are Living being and knowing. And we took off on the book Living on our our previous podcast, and now we're going to focus more on being. In addition, she has some other books that you might want to look into, Conversations with the Universe, Your Journey to Enlightenment, Your Journey to Love. Um, Simran is an artist, an author, a speaker. Uh, She's also the producer of 1111 Radio and also a magazine online magazine, 1111 Magazine. Uh, you can check her out at I am Simran. I'll spell that I-M-A-M, Simran, S-M, excuse me, let me start again, I-M-S-I-M-R-A-N. And I think you're going to enjoy uh, the conversation. You know, we take off and we go a few different places, you know, based on the initial conversation we had. So, and I do, as Simran knows well, as you know well, Simran, I, I, I liken it. It's just a conversation really when it gets down to it. But uh, technically, I guess I'm to interview you. <laughs> anyway, um, again, welcome. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed our last conversation, the depth and the richness and speaking to someone who's so not only well-versed, but who has gone into the depths of, of spirituality as you have. It, it just really, it inspires me and um, my heart well, is full. Well, my thank you. And as uh, has been said, the feeling is mutual. <laughs> thank you. 
So let's start by uh, just a little bit about each of the book in, I've called it the trilogy, uh, and it's titled Seven. The trilogy is with specifics, being, uh, let's see, being and, um, I'm going to start with the first one, living, being, and knowing. Yeah, That's why I stopped. I went, wait. (laughs) The first (laughs) one was living, this one's being, and then we'll get to knowing when it is released later in the year and have you back. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the whole process of writing with these. That's a amazing books, I must say. These these three books were born out of my own seven-year process of really sitting still and going through an experience, deciding to be so present to it and feel every level of it. And I didn't realize what that, <clears throat> excuse me, what that process would introduce me to was the multidimensional nature of myself. And so each book is an aspect of that multidimensional nature. Living is the identity, personality, the person that walks through the world. Being is the underworld. It is all of those aspects that we don't know about ourselves on a conscious level. And knowing is the humanity that is born of that once we do become aware. And these books are not my story. I was inclined to write them in a way that an individual could insert their own life, their own story into it, and find, excuse me, find their own levels of enlightenment through that, because I believe that every single one of us, regardless of where we're from, how we were raised, what our economic or religious status is, can reach enlightenment if we simply face our own lives fully. Great. What, what does that mean to you, enlightenment? I feel like enlightenment is a full awareness and presence to oneself. Mm. It is a deep knowing and understanding of the self in relation to the world and in relation to the God spark that's within them. Mm. Okay. Well, I like that. Yeah. So uh, presence and awareness, I get two key words out of that, you know, really. And it's interesting because I just had a conversation with someone about presence and how important that is for her. Uh, as for myself too, <laughs> it's true. It's so easy to get distracted by the mental uh, gyrations that go on. Uh, uh, sometimes I'll uh, uh, wake up a little bit too early, I call it a little bit too early, <laughs> you know, 5 a.m. or something. I'll be awake and I will just have this Let's see, today, this is what I have to do. I've got to do this today. And oh, yeah, I remember what you said you were going to do yesterday. You've got to get that done today. And oh, gosh, I remember, you know. So it's like anticipation and memory. You know, these thoughts just kind of keep rolling in until I start. And what works for me is just to go, I am relaxed, which Mm -hmm. is a statement of I am, obviously. And then relaxed on the out breath. And it's a nice pattern to go through. And then eventually it's I drift off. Very interesting. Anyway, that's a bit of a sidelight to what we're talking about here. But uh, let's go back to this, this book here that I have in front of me, Being, which is the second in the trilogy. And uh, it sounds like, if I understand you correctly, Simran, that it, it does go into some of the, shall we say, darker aspects of experience. Is that accurate or not? It does. It goes into the denser layers of who we are. Um, it's, it answers the questions, you know, what are we and when are we? We, in spirituality, there's a lot of focus on the shadow. And so that has started to become a more common term 
for people in personal and spiritual growth to start looking at their shadow. Uh, but what I discovered in my own exploration was once you have explored the shadow, if you're willing to go deeper, you start to uncover the animal. And that is what we are. There's this side of us that's the animal that is instinctual, that uh, is intuitive, that is trusting, that is present. But there's also this animal side of us that is hungry and that is carnivorous, that is um, the type that is going to stalk their prey, the type that uh, is feral almost. And I was led to see that aspect of myself in a very profound way. And once moving through the animal, I discovered the face of the monster. And <laughs> my question has always been, you know, for things to be occurring outside of me, particularly on a larger scope in the world, for me to even be aware of those things, those outer faces must only reflect an inner face that I have and but have not connected to. And I believe that what we hold in consciousness outpictures in order to point itself back towards our inner world. And so to meet these monstrous faces within me, to have an understanding that we can all possess any of these ideas and thoughts and expressions opened me up to levels of compassion and kindness that I could not have accessed unless I fully embraced the monster inside myself. And once past the monster, I discovered the inner demon or inner demons. And I think we have to get to a place where we're willing to really see all of who we are, understanding that some of that may have come from this lifetime in our own experiences, but more often than not, it is what has traversed through time and been carried through our bloodlines and our ancestry, our cultural upbringing and our religiosity that we keep carrying forward, but keep bearing very, very deeply within our bodies. And they, there seems to be, no, I wouldn't even say seems, there is, there's a lot of cultural pressure, uh, indoctrination, we could even call it, to sort of ignore those aspects, lest they be acted out in some way, you know, and it does happen, you know, we, we're seeing it in the world, you know, the way that those aspects get acted out and expressed in the physical realm. Yes, and, and the illusions that I talk about in this book they actually help to facilitate those in staying suppressed and doing that helps to facilitate these illusions in feeling like the way of the world. So we buy into these illusions, which only then further keeps us from our personal power, purpose, and peace. And the illusions being? I talk about seven illusions within the book being, and they are time, duality, money, hierarchy, identity, evolution and war. And mm. some of those may be surprising to people. In fact, when they read this book, there are going to be certain sections I'm certain are going to be quite triggering. And there may be even areas that are considered blasphemous because we are not taught to look at how self-obsessed and self-absorbed we are and how we propagate these illusions and continue to pass them on to other generations so that they continue to live uh, almost incarcerated by them. I, it, the, the phrase that comes to mind is the culture of narcissism, you know, the, wait, this is important. This affects me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And even, uh, uh, examining a book, I went, uh, earlier today to do a stress test, you know, which is by the way, I got an A plus. So, you know, not a, not, yeah, yay. 
but I picked up a book and it was uh, related to abundance and prosperity and such like that. And I got to say that, you know, just in the brief reading while I was waiting, you know, to go in for the stress test, I was reading about the language in it. It's about, um, to see 19, about 20 years old, you know, the book was published and it, it just had this reference in there. And I wish I could remember exactly how it said about, basically it was about acquisition. You know, mm. you can manifest anything you want. And I want to hear you view, your view, but I'm thinking, well, that's kind of what our culture is based on, you know, acquire, acquire, acquire. And I, I'm subject to it too. You know, I'm not the only one in the crowd that goes, oh yeah, I'm going to be altruistic, you know, and all this. No, I like things like George Carlin talks about stuff, you know, all the stuff that we all have, you know, we take this stuff with us when we travel and the stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm rattling on here, but uh, curious what your take on that is or any comments you might have about that. You know, one of the illusions that I have is money and it has everything to do with our material obsessions. Uh, each of the illusions has a certain obsession that we, we carry on. And by creating this world where we're really conditioning people into this idea of attainment, what we're really doing is feeding the hunger inside of them. And it doesn't just have to do with money or materialism. I mean, we do it even in spirituality. We feed people's hunger in personal growth. We feed their hunger to be better. And all of that is distraction. You know, the more we accumulate it doesn't necessarily make us feel better inside or even feel better about ourselves. It just distracts us long enough so that we don't have to face those parts of ourselves. And it also shows our incredible distrust of life, of who we are, of the way of, of natural organization in terms of the universal law. And so much of our culture is built on that vice of greed. And when we face how greedy we each are, it's not to say, you know, someone's bad, we're terrible, we shouldn't want things. It's okay to have all these things. But can we be in check with the vices that we carry to have a deep understanding that there's a part of us that is that hungry person? There, there is a part of us that is monstrous enough to do whatever it takes to get what we want. Like to really understand that these levels of being are operating within us all of the time. We are simply present to the surface identity so that we can feel good about who we are as the mask. And I think it's important that individuals understand that all these levels of being are present all the time, but we are not present to them. Once we're present to them, our thoughts, words, and actions will be different we won't fall victim to these illusions in the same way. We'll be more conscious about uh, what we accumulate or how we use things or how we even use the greatest resource of all, which is people. You know, money is the equivalent to our relationship to money is equivalent to our relationship to people. And if we're grabbing material, grabbing money, using those things in a way that is uh, loose or wasteful, it also depicts how we use people how we are wasteful of our relationships or our connections. And so there's a lot to learn on very many deep levels throughout this book that is designed to not let us be altruistic, 
but let us tap into what we are making real that's not real. Mm. I, I flashed on an old, older movie uh, called Wall Street and Michael Douglas portraying, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but I remember his he was teaching his younger or he was mentoring somebody and said, yeah, greed is, greed is good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, boy, that says a lot right there, just that statement you know, along the lines of what you're saying. So you're, you're suggesting that it's um, perhaps even critical, I was going to say important, but critical in some ways for the, for us to sort of bust ourselves, you know, with these illusions, to be able to put the light of awareness and, and be present with some of these illusions, if not all of them, so that we can see the deeper strata that stems from instinct, like you said, again, the word hunger, like, what is this hunger? What's driving this hunger? Mm -hmm. Right. Is that a fair? Yes. Yes. And the reason is it, it's, it's kind of like using, you know, how they make uh, vaccines is they use the, uh, the disease itself to kind of give you the vaccine to, to ward off the immunity. It's almost like we have to become more self-obsessed to see who we are in order to heal that for ourselves. And the reason we want to do that is because truly all human beings want to do good. We all really do want to serve the world. We all want to help the world be a better place. What we're not cognizant of is how we are creating the world that's outside. So within each of the illusions, I have a global reflection because we are reflecting something globally, individually and collectively. And so for money, you know, material obsessions is the obsession, but the global reflection is of fashion. You know, what is in fashion? Well, it is a certain type of car. It is a certain lifestyle. It is how much jewelry you wear. It's the right tennis shoes. It's eating in a certain place. It's, you know, it's, it creates a sense of fashion and trend and all of those things, which then feed the animal even more. And so once we realize we've fallen into that hole of greed, the key to getting out of that is to trust that if I really let go of all of these ideas of what I think I have to have and trusted that what I needed will come to me, you know, what will it take for me to cultivate that? And the shift would be in consciousness, which means instead of being business people, we need to move into being philanthropeneurs, which means a balance between the giving and the and not just take, 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 not just what it's about for me or my company or me individually, but realizing that there is supposed to be this infinite balance of exchange. Mm. And coming from that place where we're serving the whole through the creations of the types of businesses that serve the whole. And that's all about cultivating the connection that is necessary to shift the world. I remember uh, a book I read recently, Robin Wall Kimmerer, and it's called Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm. She's both a biologist and Native American. And one of the things that I culled from that book is this term that I love, res or word, reciprocity. It, you know, and I love words just like yourself. But I th what, you're, what you're speaking of here, I would put in that way of describing it in a single word, reciprocity. Never take more than you can give. Never, you know, it, there's an exchange that goes on. Uh, my garden out front, which uh, I was doing fairly well, you know, I, 
I need to tend to it. I was out of things for a couple of weeks there, but I need to tend to it more. But it's also simple things like offering an exchange. You know, here's some sacred tobacco. Thank you. And also going out and talking to the plants. Yes. You know, knowing that you have a relationship with those plants. Sometimes even Sandra Ingerman, who's a fairly well-known shamanic practitioner, okay, um, she said, you know, what she has her students do when she has an in-person event is go out and don't try to like uh, do a spiritual thing, you know, with the trees. Go out and sit by a tree and start talking to the tree as if it was a person you're meeting. You know, ask them about what was your life like before? What was it like to be a seed? When did you first appear? You know, how is your relationship with mother? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that is so clever. I love that. So I, yeah, isn't that cool? And then you can go into maybe another strata, which is to uh, know that that tree is also a physical expression of a larger force or tree spirit, you could say. So then you can develop a relationship not only with that tree, but with tree spirit. Again, uh, I call them sales reps, you know, <laughs> where they're going, hey, you want to talk, you know, to something larger than you? <laughs> anyway, you, um, Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Simran, you mentioned the seven layers. Can you address one more of those layers? You know, you said one is money. Yes. Um, so we could talk about duality because that's something or the contrast that exists because so many people are uh, often frustrated or angered by the contrast or why something doesn't change or why more bad supposedly happens in the world than good. And what it boils down to has everything to do with the separation inside. You know, any separation we have externally is going to be according to the separation that exists internally. Yeah. And so that duality has everything to do with our secret obsessions. You know, what are we secretly pining for? What are the secrets that we keep you know, in regard to our family and our culture? What are we secretly um, harboring in terms of jealousy or anger or all of these other emotions? And so it really is about the secret types of obsessions that we carry day to day while carrying a different face externally. And that leads to a global reflection of climate change. You know, we, climate change is such a huge topic and it has everything to do with how our world is going to be affected and how, you know, growth of crops and the animals and the sustenance that we have as a planet and whether we stay or whether we don't stay. But when we look at that, 
you know, the climate change has everything to do with our inner climate. And if we are harboring storms internally, then we're only going to create things that create the storms externally. If we are feeling uh, lack and barren internally, we're only going to create more barrenness outside. You know, if we are not holding things sacredly, then we're removing the protection that keeps us safe and sacred. And so it really is a very intimate exploration to understand our obsessions. And it has everything to do with the whole inside that is the lust that we carry, how we lust after what other people want, other things that are there, how we lust to be more than we are, how we lust to be in the future as opposed to into the present. You know, there are all these ways we lust that we don't even realize are that vice. And only when we move into this space, which is the key of tenderness, where we can be tender with ourselves for all that we feel. It's not even about changing that because it's about being with the feeling. The only way the feeling or the sensations change and dissolve is to be with them. But can we be tender with ourselves while being so lustful, by, while wanting what our neighbor has, while wanting to be better than we are, while wanting to be in a place of ascension instead of on the ground? You know, can we just be tender? with who we are. And when we can, we end up being tender with other people. We release mm. the egotism and we move into being a humanitarian <clears throat> and we begin to cultivate appreciation. Each of the illusions have something that we are here to cultivate. And by cultivating appreciation, then we receive ourselves. And in receiving ourselves, we create greater unity. So each of the illusions takes individuals through seven levels where First, they face themselves. They get to be horrified because I was. <laughs> we do get to be horrified at who we are. And then we all of a sudden get to have compassion for that part hmm. of ourselves because we really were innocent in taking on all of the beliefs and ideas that we bought into. And then comes the true love. Then comes the tenderness, the gentleness, the kindness that we long for from other people. But we finally get to give it to ourselves. And when we give it to ourselves, we're able to give it to the world. Amen. Um, I flashed on a couple of different experiences that I think are, that fall within the framework you just described, which really isn't a framework, but that's the best word I've got so far. And that is after a, a divorce and a separation. Um, and I, at that point, I was very willing to go into that instinctual pain. I'm not sure if that's fair to say instinctual, but the deep, deep grief, mm -hmm. you know, of something like that. And I, I find it, it seems like a lot of people are afraid of that, you know? And so based on what you're describing, then what happens is that it gets projected because it's not aware, or I should say that it gets reflected Yes. projected and reflected in the outer world in some way, whether it's the more immediate world that you exist in or the larger context, the larger world. But I do remember a funny part of it, and uh, it's okay to say uh, a certain word that you'll hear here, but I remember after that, I, I came, uh, we actually, we were having a great time. We were traveling a lot and everything like that, and then she just kind of pulled the plug, you know, in a way. I'm not a victim. I don't mean it that way. But in doing so, uh, we had a house in Hawaii. We had a house in Laguna Beach. So I came back to the house in Laguna Beach 
And I remember going to sleep that night. Uh, a couple of things happened. One, every morning I'd wake up and I would go, oh, fuck, I'm still alive. <laughs> and that, that was just a statement of like the, the depth of uh, grief. And the other was sometimes it would hit me in the middle of whatever, fixing breakfast or something. I would put everything down, go into the other room, lay on the floor in a fetal position and just bawl my eyes out. And there was a purifying effect that took place with that. And again, I, listeners, I hope you're not offended by the F word, but um, that's basic and truthful. <laughs> Um, you know, um, oh, yeah. I resonate so much with that because so much of the seven year experience had a lot to do with grief. And I found that grief mm -hmm. is the portal to awareness and presence. When you are that present to your grief, you're going to meet all of those voices and places and to not judge them, but to just let them be where they are is the, the greatest act of human grace we can give ourselves because we have to allow those to be. Otherwise, they get buried. And when they get buried, we end up having resentments and they fester and they become the, the deep disease, not only internally, but externally in our world. Mm, and I, I know that grief is not the easiest emotion to hold, but I would invite individuals to really be swallowed whole by your grief because it will take you places you cannot reach in any other way. And right. you will be washed clean of many identities that are no longer serving you so that you can truly emerge in a more powerful way. Um, I was thinking, I'm curious your thoughts on this, that there's something of a connection between allowing yourself to feel and experience that grief to be swallowed by it. I like that way of describing it. And ultimately, compassion. Yes. I, you know, I think that when we can experience the depth of that kind of grief, and then we look around and see the suffering in the world, rather than, um, how would I say, hooking into the suffering is to be able to offer something up, you know, of, of compassion, care, love, gestures of kindness, etc., that kind of thing. But I think we have to touch, I, I agree with you, we have to touch something of a greater depth in order to feel the greater depth of, shall we say, the flip side, which is extending that compassion that we had for ourselves, which sounds a little weird to say, to allow ourselves to grieve. But I think that's a compassion and act and a way to purge, it to is. clear that stuff out so that, oh, okay, now I can go out and water the garden. Yes, you know, so many people, they want purpose. They want to find peace. They want to find their power, but they don't realize it's buried underneath all the stuff that we don't feel. And the majority of people in the world, what they do is they stick their toe in the pool. You know, they, they maybe stick their foot in or they sit on the stoop for a few minutes and think that that's called feeling, but that's not really immersion. You know, what I'm talking about, what you're talking about is falling into the deep end and letting yourself sink to the bottom and mm. just staying there for a while and waiting for something else, some other force to come in and scoop you up and raise you back up. Not yeah. another person, not anyone else. No one else can save you in that place. 
Yeah. It's allowing the act of grace to come in and hold you in the grief that you're back in the womb space with the mother, feeling all the rawness that exists within you while that purges. And the beauty of being in the water is you start to realize I'm not separate from the tears that I'm crying. Yeah. They're actually holding me. They're not leaving me. They're holding yeah. And it's, it's sacred. It is one of the most sacred experiences I've ever had. Oh, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. It's a very sacred experience. Um, I remember, you know, part of that process too, of one time, you know, I almost said wallowing in the grief, but in a good way. I wallowed. You know, like we're talking, yeah. <laughs> but then I remember like climbing the stairs, you know, I'm like crawling up these stairs. And then I looked up and I went, and I said this out loud too, I went, Oh yeah, I got to change that light bulb. It was so weird, you know, just to come out of that completely. <laughs> oh wait, we're not done. Back in it, you know, yeah. continue crawling up the stairs. Well, you had a very uh, powerful event a few years back, like you said, seven years ago. Would you be willing to comment on that or tell us? My what- my experience had to do with loss, um, two children mm-hmm. that were no longer with me, and it was it was the most heartbreaking experience that I could have ever had because there was nothing I could do. I had no control. I had no way of bringing back time to where it was before that. And it felt like an epitome of darkness to where it really was the culmination of me saying, I've been devoted to the light. My work is being devoted to the journey of the soul. I have done everything I can to be light. But to be here now, you know, what is it that the darkness can give me? Because obviously right now the light is not there. And so the light must have fallen into the darkness and that's where I need to go. And I discovered that so much of what I had done prior, my three prior books, the magazine, the radio show, all of it is such a beautiful thing that that part of me created at that time. But after going through the grief and finding the light, the true light that's within that, I realized that who I was before was really artificial lighting. It wasn't real light. It was beautiful. It lit up a room. It was very nice, but it was artificial lighting. It wasn't the true embodied integrated light that just radiates simply because you know things that are at such a deep level. And that's, I think, what our soul truly yearns for us is to integrate at such a deep level, an embodied level, and to experience humanity. We came here to feel every feeling, to know every emotion, to understand every level of our beingness. And to not do that is, to me, the waste of life. You know, life to me is not about attainment or reaching a certain status or becoming somebody or you know, having fame or money or anything else, it's can I know myself to the Mm. depths of who I am? Because Mm. to know the universe is to know me. And I would say that's the same for everyone else. Uh, In uh, regular, regularly, I take my dog or both dogs out for a walk to the local park. And I commented on this, I think, in our, our first podcast, but it bears repeating related to what you were just saying is I'll often just basically listen, you know what? Cause I get a lot of things in the uh, inner voice 
I call it the voice or the teacher or ancestors, you know, it doesn't matter the name, but that force that is guiding and directing me. And um, I was pondering intellectually, I was pondering, what is the fundamental purpose of life? You know, big questions. Okay. Right. (laughs) Big, big questions. I don't, I don't fool around with the small stuff, you know, (laughs) big questions like how do we create world peace? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm I'm pondering this, you know, what is the fundamental purpose? And boy, that v- the voice came through loud and clear. And it said, it's to experience life. Mm. All the rest are details. And I've, that, I've kept that because it's related to what you're saying is like fundamentally at the foundation of what we're here for is to simply experience life. And something about that, Simran, you know, I'm in a park, I'm looking at the trees and I even get a little flash of it right now is I get the relationship that I have with everything. You know what I mean? Just that two seconds, you know, wow. I would call it awe. Yes. A-W-E. Just that full bodied experience. What a privilege this is suffering and all, you know what I mean? Yes, it, it really is. It kind of goes back to what you were saying before with your word reciprocity. You know, as long as we feel like we're just this individual who is separate from everyone and everything else trying to make our way through life, we miss out on that reciprocity, including the reciprocity of suffering, including the reciprocity of letting go, of uh, allowing identities to die so that something new can be born, including the reciprocity of those around us and the engagement of being bigger than the skin we're in. And so it's, you know, what a, what a beautiful sentiment to bring across about this beautiful, amazing blessing that we have as life and how each day should be lived in that awe and wonder, even in the depths of despair or in the ecstatic bliss you know, of an awareness, you know, all of it is to be odd and wonderful. I like that. Yeah. Very well stated. Um, what are your plans from here? You've got another book that's on its way. Yes. Uh, are, are you, what are your inspiration? What, where are you going from here? What do you see well, happening? It's interesting after being in, in such a state of presence for the seven year process and then being really present to writing these books, I only know to live in the moment and figure out, let, let whatever's going to come, come. Uh, the yeah. one thing it did teach me was not to plan, not mm. to have an agenda, not to uh, look to the future in a way of what can I do next, but to really sit in each moment and embrace the ordinary, just to mm. embrace being human, being having life, uh, embrace the people that come across my path and not get caught up in the illusions because it's very easy to slip back and to fall into the conditioning of the world. And so I think mostly it's a daily reminder to myself of, you know, what am I? I am a divine spark that has been placed in a sacred vessel to experience this world when am I? I am right here, right now. And who am I? I am the animal, the shadow, the monster, the demon, the human, the God. 
and I walk in the world with all of those eyes open. Wow. Yeah. I am rarely this, but I'm a bit speechless. <laughs> that was a really good way to describe it. But I'll get I'll get back to it here. <laughs> no problem at all. Anyway, we have to close here in just a little bit. But uh, I am going to have the pleasure of having you as a guest again on a, another podcast down the road. Once the book is released, we can talk more about that. There's living, being, and knowing. And I appreciate your wisdom, the wisdom that you offer. You know, it comes from uh, a real a dedication and also that you were born to do this. It's just the way it is. Well, thank you. It's well, a pleasure and an honor speaking with you. And if if I do nothing else but get people to slow down and just be where they are and take the pauses, then my work has been done. Oh, great. Reminds me of in uh, one of my Oracle cards, uh, uh, Turtle shows up. And what when I was doing the Oracle cards, I would listen to what the spirit animal had to say. And, and Turtle was a riot, just like what you were saying, slow down. <laughs> and the way he said it, though, was a riot. He would speak through me in this voice. He, he said, slow down. Yes. <laughs> you have all the time in the world. And even when I say that, I want to go, oh, my whole body relaxes. Yeah, slow down, yeah. gang. You know, there's no hurry. You know, keep keep showing up. You, you, you know, you get off the horse, get back on the horse. You know, there's different ways to say it is as much as you possibly can. And I'm, I'm perhaps lecturing a little bit here, but I'm also hearing it myself too, is, you know, stay present, you know, be present, not stay, but be present because it is a fluidity to it, but be present to whatever shows up, meet life on its own terms, you know, so many different ways to say it, but the practice of it, that's the key. I love that. I love that. Yes, turtle spirit. Thank you. <laughs> yes, turtle spirit. Thank you. We have a couple, we have amongst our menagerie here two uh, desert tortoises too that were handed through various means for us to steward to take care of. So they're good reminders of that that way of moving and slowing down. So, all right, Simran, thank you again. God bless you. I appreciate who you are and what you are. And as you added when you are. Mm. So we'll see you again in a future podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Namaste. Namaste. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you join me for future episodes where I'll share some powerful healing practices and meditations introduce you to some amazing guests and friends of mine who will stop by for some conversation and on occasion i'll pull some oracle cards from one of my decks and do readings i'll also share some of my original music that i'm sure you'll enjoy if you like what i'm doing please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to my show page on mindbodyspirit.fm where you can also get the free mobile app to listen to any of my shows or find some new favorites. If you'd like to contact me with questions, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram or send an email to info at drstephenfarmer.com. 
You can also find lots of material on that website, drstephenfarmer.com, so please feel free to explore. Please also know that by sending a question, you're giving me permission to possibly use it in a future podcast so others may benefit from it. And to close, I'd leave you with the four most important words to take with you. Gratitude, love, compassion, and forgiveness. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.